You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The following is special programming aired in collaboration with the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art on the campus of UNLV. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Hello everyone, I'm Deanne Soul and I work in communications and curation at the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art. And today I'm going to be talking to two wonderful people about an ongoing collaboration between the museum and Poetry Promise Incorporated, a local non-profit organisation that has been working since 2016 to create a multifaceted support system for poetry throughout the Las Vegas Valley. And before we go on, I should also mention that the collaboration between our two organisations is supported in part by Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities. So thank you to them. And I am joined by Isabel Bellinghausen, who's the Programme Director for the Poets in the Schools Programme at Poetry Promise. Um, she's a poet and writer in her own right. She's worked at Black Mountain Institute and the Writer's Block. And I, I think you like to be known as Izzy, don't I you, do. Isabel? I Brilliant. Do. <laughs> Um, okay, and I'm also joined by Charlene Stegman Moscow, um, one of Poetry Promises teaching artists. She has been published in numerous anthologies and magazines. Uh, she's also published a number of chapbooks, uh, such as One Bare Foot by Zeitgeist Press and Leavings from My Table from Finishing Line Press. And she's got two new publications coming up, which is really impressive. Um, I think the first one that's due to come out is Running the Gamut uh, from Zeitgeist. Is that correct, Charlene? I'm not sure exactly. I think that Running the Gamut and also Woman Who Dyes Her Hair from Kelsey Books are coming out at about the same time, which would be the end of summer, uh, beginning of fall. So whichever one comes first. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how would we find out when they do come out? Should we just keep an eye on the websites of the publishers? Yes, yeah. okay. you can either keep an eye on the websites or for those people who follow me on Facebook, you can check me out on Facebook um, Yeah, and various kinds of media like that. Sounds good. Yeah. Are they are they going to be in any particular bookshops where people can look for them or is we it more We hope so. <laughs> I I hope perhaps that writers block mm -hmm. will have them. Um, maybe there will even be an authors night where I can do a reading from probably the Zeitgeist book, maybe the other one as well. Correct. Um, and you just did a reading at writers block not I that did. Long ago. I did a reading from Leavings from My Table. Uh, at Writer's Block. That's awesome. How did that go? It went well. It went really well. It was, um, oh, what's the name of that, um, the the new theater? Uh, the Beverly Theater. The Beverly mm. Theater. And boy, what a beautiful place that is, speaking about art. And the building itself is, is an artistic um, piece of architecture. It's really lovely. And uh, yeah, good theater. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Good okay, people. so it, if listeners enjoy um, what you hear from Charlene today, don't forget to keep your eye out for her publications. Um, okay, so to move along, Izzy, before we get into the details of the collaboration between the museum and Poetry Promise, um, can you tell us a bit about your organisation? Uh, I know you've got a couple of really great programmes that you work on. 
Absolutely. Yeah, so Poetry Promise is a Nevada charitable corporation with a federal 501c3 exemption. Uh, The company, as you mentioned, was formed in 2016 to support programs of the Clark County Poet Laureate. Its board includes former Clark County Commissioner Chris Junkiliani, education activist Rosa Mendoza, and poet and former administrator for CCSD Rodney J. Lee. Former Poet Laureate and Finance Executive Bruce Isaacson serves as the board, chairman, and treasurer. And since its funding, Poetry Promise has paid over $306,000 to poets and writers to support the literary arts. That sounds fabulous. Um, I know you you have things like the Alzheimer's Poetry Mm -hmm. Project. You've got Poets in the Schools. Uh, What goes into those programs? Absolutely. Um, So each program is really tailored to match its audience. Um, So we have programs that run like the Poets in the Schools program, and those programs are tailored towards students who are in kindergarten all the way through ages uh, 25 for college students. Uh, For college students, we have a program, a really robust program running at Ferguson's downtown. And uh, we also have a safe key program. We work with government programs as well. Um, And I always kind of joke that it's like the wild, wild west. You never know if you're going to get 25th graders and one first grader in the room. So our poets go in, you know, braced for impact, but always down for a good time. (laughs) Um, But Poetry Promise has done uh, even more than that. Um, We've had three sitting U.S. Poet Laureates, uh, Juan Felipe Herrera, Tracy K. Smith, and Joy Harjo come out. Awesome. Yeah. Um, We've also had Pulitzer Prize winners Sharon Olds and Jericho Brown come out um, and put on programs, beat legend Michael McClure in one of his last public performances. Wow. And editor of Best American Poetry, David Lehman, a five-time National Slam champion, Patricia Smith, music, film, and New Yorkian poetry legend Saul Williams, Lambda Award winner Jan Steckel, and others. Oh, that's so, all amazing. Yeah, so Poetry Promise kind of tailors to a lot of different audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our Alzheimer's Poetry Project, which I think Charlene can speak a little bit more to as one of our teaching artists mm-hmm. for that program. How, yeah. how do you... F- Sorry. That's Okay. Well, Go ahead. I, I was going to ask how you find your teaching artists, because how, so, how do you find these wonderful people? Yeah, well, we're community-based. Um, so all of our teaching artists usually come by word of mouth, um, but people do apply for our programming. Um, but they're all working artists. So that's really the big push that we have in our community is all of our teaching artists are publishing. They're working. They're doing slam poetry. Um, they're out and doing poetry in real life. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to show our students is that not only is poetry on the page, but it's, it's spoken aloud. It's a living, breathing art form. And so when you see it in action, uh, we just had our John Oliver Simon award and that's for uh, high school students and college students. Um, Charlene was actually one of the poets who did um, a live reading. It just wakes up the room. And so you can really see the difference in the students after they go to a live reading because they realize, like, I can make a life out of this. I can become a full-time artist. And it's possible in Las Vegas. That's brilliant. Um, Charlene, what's your experience been with this? How, How did you come to join Poetry Promise? I think that I simply asked. (laughs) I think that, no, I I did. I asked 
because I feel very, very strongly about poetry being accepted as an art form. Mm. Um, and I think that the programs that are offered, Alzheimer's, uh, I work also with uh, senior citizens at Cora Coleman Senior Cultural Center and Barrett Museum. I feel that poetry is only one part of an interdisciplinary form of art, and it needs to be included in, in being thought about as art. I think that very often it is um, kind of shoved aside you know, we can see sculptures and paintings, we can hear operas, we can hear um, other kinds of music, we can... And, and I think that very often poetry is sort of like the orphan child, but all of those things are interdisciplinary because we have poetry that refers or has its genesis in the arts, in mm -hmm. other arts. And we also make, for instance, take ekphrastic poetry, where you have a piece, a, a painting or a sculpture or a, some sort of photography or a drawing, and from that, poetry can be made, and vice versa, and vice versa. You know, there are operas right now that are being made with its genesis in poetry. Ooh, can you so, give us some examples? There was something that I was reading the other day I think it's called, now I'm going to screw this up probably, I think it's called ALS, or, and it is taken from a Swedish poem, and it has been made into an opera. And I think that that's pretty. But let's get back to, <laughs> let me get back here to, to, yeah. to Las Vegas and okay. Poetry Promise. I have worked with Alzheimer's, and it's amazing. We use, we use not only poetry, but we use... Um, for in or poems that that they might be familiar with from back in their past, like uh, Jane, like Joyce's Trees, right? And all of a sudden, you see them spark. They remembered something. Something strikes them, and it becomes. We also use um, tangible things that they can touch, tactile, that will spark them. And it's it's really wonderful because by the end of a session. There are many, many of these people who have been suffering with Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia who will give a line that they have been mm, sparked towards. And all of these lines get put on a huge piece of white paper and a poem emerges at the end. Wow. And sometimes that poem is even sung. It's it, Yeah, so that, that's been wonderful. And it... it, it it helps. It helps them. And as poets and as artists, I think it helps us also because there's a lot of humanity involved in doing something like, like it. that. And I've been working with senior citizens. Yeah. You've also been working with some youth, though. You've you oh, Nevada yeah, Partnership for Homeless Nevada Youth. Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth, which is um, really terrific. <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, you have people who have had unfortunate circumstance in their life, in their young lives, who come together and realize that they're not alone in what they're feeling, and they are able to put these words and put these um, expressions into poems that are shared. And you know, it's a, it, again, once again, you're dealing with, the, with poetry as 
an arrow, if you will, mm. towards our humanity, you know, as something that pierces through a lot of covered up stuff, perhaps. Mm. And it, it, it sparkles. <laughs> and Barrick so Museum has been wonderful working with Barrick. I've so enjoyed doing that also. Yeah. Do you want to explain That's, a little bit more? Yeah, about let's, yeah. let's sleep yeah. back okay. to that. Yeah. That um, would be absolutely brilliant. The, I think it was either the first or the second one that I did was the um, uh, Felix, Felix Gonzalez Torres. I, I always do that maybe. Now you've and, got and him, I got Felix right. okay. Gonzalez Torres. And he had this wonderful exhibit of green candies in cellophane on the floor in a kind of a parabola sort of shape. And it was a tribute to his lover. Mm. And you could take the candy and eat it, leaving holes in this thing. And it just became wonderful poetry and wonderful poetry experience in trying to take this very, very abstract piece of art and turn it into a tribute, as he did, for his lover. Yeah. And it just, it was beautiful. And more recently, um, the exhibit, Are You My Type?, which has to do with, with graphics. It has to do with, uh, that was also, we did erasure poetry, blackout poetry. Oh, wow. And the uh, participants and myself were so amazed at some of the stuff that we came up with, some of the really, really good poems. And yeah, I, uh, yes, yeah. I love poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never have known. <laughs> Um, okay, so let me let me just quickly give listeners an outline of the the, pro, the program at the barrack that we're talking about um, that we've just had such fantastically uh, so fantastically described. Um, so what happens is that um, the museum and poetry promise hold a series of workshops. And they run for about a month. Every Saturday, a poet comes in, one of their teaching artists, and they're there from 11 until 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And anyone can come and join um, a session of talking about art with the poet. Um, as you've just heard Charlene describe, she chose Felix Gonzalez Torres's Untitled L.A. Um, when she did this with us last year, and she came back again this year, and, and you worked with our type exhibition, which is fantastic. Uh, I'd love to know more about that. I did some some of the curator work on that, so I always love to hear about people interacting with that show. Um, so this is totally free, by the way. Um, we've just finished our latest session, which took place in June, and we're going to be doing this again in fall. Uh, I don't have exact dates for that, but um, we will announce them on our, our website uh, in the future. All right, so that's a brief overview of what we've just been referring to. Um, Charlene, would you like to tell us, is there anything more that you'd like to tell us about that erasure poetry and the, the artwork? Was it the whole exhibition that you looked at or specific yeah. works? No, it was the whole exhibition, but because they, you know, because the exhibition deals with words and how words affect us, um, what I did for that was I brought in, I, for those of you who are familiar with erasure poetry, this is no great surprise, but for those of you who aren't, I brought in uh, pages from a really, really old, like 1965 National Geographic 
Um, and I also brought in some pages from a very brief short story that I had read by my one of my favorite authors. And the short story was really awful. Mm. It was terrible. I'm not one to desecrate books, but I felt that if I ripped out some of the pages from this book and did some poetry with it, it wouldn't be desecration, but maybe it would be putting it up on a higher plane. You were doing them a favor. I, yeah, I basically. was. I, you know, and she's my favorite. And she's one of my favorite authors, but this one was maybe an early, early, early work. Anyhow, I brought <laughs> I brought those in, put them on the table, and talked a little bit about erasure poetry using a black magic marker or any kind of magic marker and finding the words that jump out at you. Because as you read, certain words will jump, will pop, and take away, I asked them and myself, to take away all the other words, to use that, to use that uh, marker and remove all the other words and just leave the words that seem to pop. There was some remarkable stuff that came out from that. And I wish I had, I wish I had taken photographs of the work that the participants did, but they were also surprised by how at the end of taking out the rest of it, the words that they selected actually made a poem. Mm. Hack actually had a turn at the end and made a poem. And it's almost like jazz. Mm. You know, it's almost like jazz music where you kind of pick and choose the notes and pick and choose the instruments even. So, yeah, it was a really lovely experience. I'll, I'll have to bring you some of what I did. If you could, that, yeah, would, be, sure. that would be... I always love to... I, I love the Felix poem that you wrote last year. I've actually got it here on, on this piece of paper in front of me. Oh. Um, so I, <laughs> I thought, I'll just print it out and bring it um, to, this, to this radio recording. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to, to see any of the erasure poetry that yeah. came out of that. And I'm, I'm just thinking of how well what you've just described to me um, must have gone. I wasn't there at the session, by the way, everybody, so I didn't see this in person. Um, but how well it must have gone with the, the exhibition, which does focus so much on words um, and on artists often choosing words very specifically. I know there's a work in the exhibition by Carolia Cole, right. who did a, a f not... I don't think poetry was her aim, but the, she did a lot of erasure yeah. in a yeah. large document yes. um, yeah. and used that method of pinpointing things that she specifically thought were important to mm -hmm. tell um, and found a story in the, the fairly, I think, dry original legal language uh, of the document. And that's what was happening with the National Geographic pieces also, um, that there... One of the magazines was from, as I say, 1965, and it dealt with Africa. Mm. And it was so, I'm not going to say bigoted, because it wasn't. It was, but from such a different angle, it was like Edgar Rice Burroughs. <laughs> it was, just, oh it was just from such a different, from such a different perspective. In fact, one of the women who, who had gotten that said that she was totally distracted in reading it because it was like she kept going, oh, oh my God. <laughs> but she went past that 
and was able to, you know, black out black out enough of it so that a poem emerged that had absolutely nothing to do with what the article had to say, you know. Oh, that's like, that yeah. sounds so transformative. It is, absolutely. You know, it, well, that's what erasure poetry is. It is a transformative form of poetry because mm-hmm. that's, what, yeah, for sure. It's, it's like you're talking back to the book, I guess, and then you, you find out right at the end what your conversation was, mm-hmm. with the book was. Mm-hmm. Um, Izzy, Izzy what have, have you been hearing anything from the other poets who also um, took part in June's workshop? Because I know Charlene was the last one, mm-hmm. but we also had Mose V, for example. Uh, who, did, did they talk to you about um, what they did with their groups? Yeah, so each one of them focused on kind of a different aspect of poetry. Um, Some of them focused on more of the cultural aspects um, and wanting to connect with, how to describe it? I don't know like which poetic style they went with, but they wanted to connect with the backgrounds of the people who were coming into the workshops and make sure that they were sensitive to the storytelling that was coming out. Um, that's something that we focus on, that we're creating a safe space for people mm. who are sharing their poems. Um, because a lot of times, um, we had an example of this at West Prep Academy, um, people will share very personal stories um, because the safe the space feels so safe. And so this will happen sometimes just with the adults that are in the space that are not necessarily going through the workshop. Um, and in one case, uh, we found out that we had a former slam poet uh, and the students were astounded at the West Prep Academy. Um, one of the teachers revealed that they used to be a, a slam poet champion. Um, and this blew the students' minds. Um, and they were not a teaching artist with Poetry Promise. They were just, you know, I think a PE teacher. Um, that happened to be in the room. <laughs> a PE teacher? Oh, grief. Not even, a, say, English teacher or something. No, oh, wow. no, no, no. Um, so a lot of the transformative aspects with our programs, they really evolve from uh, just creating that that space and time to really connect with each person that's in, in the workshops. And our workshops can be very small sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a program at El Shaddai, and we work with four students five days a week for two hours a day, and it's a refuge home. And so we work with students that have, you know, are experiencing homelessness, who are experiencing situations that we don't can't even fathom. Some of us, but some of our teaching artists can. Some of our teaching artists come from the foster care system. Uh, some of our teaching artists come from, you know, that experience of homelessness. Um, so we have teaching artists that have a variety of different backgrounds, cultures. They're very diverse, mm-hmm. and we think about, you know, what we want to present. Um, before we present it. And um, part of that is not only, you know, not to talk about um, the financial aspect of Poetry Promise, but we want to make sure that our teaching artists are paid really well. And we also pay them for like prep time too. So that way that thoughtfulness can go in um, and they have that safe space to really think about the audience um, that's, you know, receiving the instruction. I love that. So you're not just thinking about the people who are coming to you. You're also thinking about the people who you're holding mm-hmm. as as your own poets, your teaching artists. Correct. And, um, it sounds like this might be something that really sets Poetry Promise apart from, I mean, I can't think of any any other poetry programs that are quite as extensive as, as yourselves in Las Vegas at the moment. But a different program might not pay that same degree of attention that you have. 
um, to things like, you know, fitting the artist to the specific people who are going to be, who are going to be there. That's fantastic. And that, and that brings us back to considering poetry as an art form. You know, um, as a, a poet who has work published, there are few, if any, agents for poetry writers. There are agents of the wazoo for novelists and nonfiction books, etc., prose writers. But again, poetry is an area that is often uh, a forgotten area. And poetry promise brings us, as poets, validity Mm. and value. Because I think that you have value in in many different ways, but financial value is also important. I so mean, it's how, sort of, yeah. sorry, I interrupted no, you. I, how how do you do it then, as a poet? <laughs> say say I'm a poet. I've been to a poetry promise yeah. session at the Barrack Museum. I've gone. Charlene's inspiring me. I would I would um, love to publish some of my own poems. What do you think I should do? Yeah. So right now we're kind of in a space where we're kind of. We're not in a growth space. That was last year. We got um, the Clark County Outside Agency Grant, and then we got the Nevada Fiscal State Recovery Grant. Um, So in that sense, we had two community partners, and I basically had to plan 920 hours of poetry programming within the span of seven months. (laughs) Um, And we didn't think we were going to make it in time, um, but we did. So this year, we're really thinking about creating consistent programming, consistent, and we've had basically no turnover with our artists. We have 15 teaching artists. Um, We really think about their well-being, um, what they want to do, what kind of programming they want to do. So I think if you're excited about Poetry Promise and, you know, the programming that we do, the best thing you can do is reach out. Um, you know, my email address, just go to our website. Um, all, all, all of our information is on there, um, to just poetrypromise.org. Um, and, um, just become part of the conversation and community because when you do that, when you start going to the slams and it doesn't have to be a slam if you're not competitive, but when you start going to these different events, you'll start Mm -hmm. to recognize the same people and there's different opportunities. You know, there's the campfire community that's run by Ash Del Grego. And that runs at Rebar, and that's, you know, every other Wednesday. And it's huge, you know. And there's, uh, I believe, gift cards that are offered. And But it's more than that. It's this community of poets, and you start mm-hmm. to realize how extensive it is in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and you start to put your name out there. Yeah, and, and I do a, a, a at West Charleston Library, Correct. I do an open reading once a month. Mm-hmm. And it has been really growing. I mean, it started with like five people and the last time we did it, and again, this might not sound like much, but for a poetry community, it is. We had almost 20 people there. Oh, it's huge. You know, so that's huge. Yeah. And And they're dedicated. And they're dedicated. And it's so, it's so uh, welcoming. I mean, we have a lot, we have a lot of fun doing it. And there's all sorts of poetry from people who have never gotten up and done, you know, allowed Given, given their poetry to the community allowed to people who have tons of experience doing it. And you learn from them. You learn from their poetry. You learn. Yeah. it's and, You and guys make it sound so amazing. It and is. Bruce Isaacson <laughs> has, uh, 
I was going to say Bruce Isaacson also has a Saturday series at oh, Winchester, yes. yeah. and that's another huge program. And that's um, both Zoom as well Zoom as Zoom and in person. Oh, and, so, and that's totally free, isn't it? All yeah. free. All, all of, of our programs, programs free, so you completely can just turn free. up. And that in, that freeness also includes the sessions at the barrack. I know we need to wrap this up fairly shortly, so I'm just going to put in a very quick plug. Um, for the the next series that we're going to have there in fall. It's going to be um, in collaboration with our next series of exhibitions. Our current exhibitions uh, end at the end of next week. Sorry, we're recording this earlier than we're actually putting it out. So not at the end of the next week. By the time you hear this, they'll already be closed. (laughs) Um, But next we're going to have a... a um, exhibition called Contemporary Ex Voto's Devotion Beyond Medium. And we're going to have a window gallery installation by the local artist Jeannie Hua. And we're also going to have a collection show uh, that's going to focus um, on the idea of looking at mothers and looking at other figures who are women. Um, so if this sounds appealing to you, and I hope it does, and if making poetry sounds appealing to you, which after hearing this it should, um, please do come and take part in that. Okay, so I think we should wrap up now. Charlene and Izzy, thank you so, so much for taking the trip into the station and being with me today. This has been fantastic. It has, and thank you. You've been listening to special programming aired in collaboration with the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art on the campus of UNLV. The content of this program did not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education.